So um, if this is your first time at Grace Point, um, or maybe your first time in a long time, first time joining us online, today is a little bit out of the ordinary. And when I say a little bit out of the ordinary, I mean I have not done this in 20 years of ministry, so it was really out of the ordinary, okay? Um, and, and first service went well, first service went great, but we'll see how today, how second service goes. But um, we've been asking this question that um, Google tells us a lot of people are asking, right? What happens after you die? What happens when we die? What's the afterlife? What, what's, what's beyond the beyond, the things that we don't have answers to? Um, and you may not ask that question. You may not wrestle with this question at all. Uh, maybe you never think about it, but there's a lot of people around you, maybe that you're related to, maybe that you work with, um, people that you know that are, they're asking this question. And even if you've never asked it out loud, we all kind of wonder. It's one of those questions where you're laying in bed at night and you're just staring up at the ceiling and it's just you and your thoughts and you start to wonder and you can only get so far, right? So even if we don't have concrete answers to it, we want to at least have some confidence in what we can no, and so that's kind of what this series is all about. And um, uh, today is either going to be really helpful or a complete train wreck. And either way, nobody's going to fall asleep today, right? So we'll see how it, we'll we'll see how this goes. Okay, uh, first two weeks we did what we normally do: take a passage of scripture, drill down real deep, um, see what happens with that. And this week and next week, I'm answering your questions that you sent in this week about heaven, um, next week about hell. Um, and see what we can learn from it. A lot of questions submitted, um, more than I can get to in my allotted 35 minutes, but I've done the best that I can uh, with what I have to work with. So if you're ready, fasten your seatbelts, we're going to jump right in. And to get us started, start with a little bit of an easier one, um, for at least for some people. Here's, here's about the easiest question I got. Will there be pets in heaven? <laughs> Will there be pets in heaven? To which I say, dogs, yes. Cats, no. <laughs> Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Um, no, here's, here's the real answer. The real answer is we don't know. We don't know. Um, the scripture talks about heaven being a new heaven and a new earth. So does that mean that the new earth is going to be like this earth that's populated with animals? Don't really know. Scripture doesn't give us a, 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 a concrete answer. So the answer is, I don't really know. And that's devastating to some of you. It is because you're a pet person and you love your pets. And I'm not a pet person. I didn't grow up with pets. I don't have pets today. And, and so again, some of you, you love, some of you love your pets more than some of your family members, right? But here's, here's what I think is kind of underneath the question um, that, that I think why we ask questions like this, because pets are some of the best examples of unconditional love we have on this earth. You, you, you have a bad day at work, you come home, what does your dog do? Loves you unconditionally. Doesn't matter how your day is gone, doesn't matter if you like yourself or if you don't like yourself, doesn't matter if people like you or people don't like you, your dog likes you. <laughs> there's this thing that we have with, again, I'm not a pet person, but I know pet people. And there's this, this feeling that we get from them. And I think that's where that question comes from. I don't know, but I think that's where it comes from. But here's, as, this is something else I would say. As you start to see Jesus more clearly, 
as you start to see what Jesus has prepared for people who love him and for people he loves more clearly, that experience, that realization of unconditional love starts to become even more clear than the, 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 the unconditional love that you experience from any animal. It's far greater. It's far better. But that unconditional love you get from your pets, it's a little bit of a foreshadowing. It's a little bit of a hint at what you experience from Jesus. So the answer to the question is, we don't know. We, we, we can't answer all of these questions definitively. In fact, here's kind of a principle that serves us well today. Um, in fact, I think it serves us well every time we come to Scripture. It's something I learned a long time ago, something I've tried to use to guide my teaching and preaching over the years. But here it is. Where Scripture is clear, speak clearly. I try to do that. I try to do that as a pastor. I try to do that as a dad. I try to do that as a husband, as a leader. When the Bible is clear, speak clearly. The Bible is clear about who Jesus was. It's clear that he died. It's clear that he rose again. It's clear. It's pretty clear about God's love for the nations, not just one. It's pretty clear that God loves all cultures, not just one. It's pretty clear about forgiveness. It's pretty clear about some of these things. So when it's clear, we can speak clearly. But where Scripture isn't clear, don't pretend it is. Don't pretend it is. And you see this all the time, especially in America, where Scripture is clear. You cannot, or when it's not clear, you can't pretend it. Well, there be pets in heaven. I don't have a clear answer for you on that. Again, we have shadows. We have glimpses. We have partial answers. But we don't have a clear answer to all of our questions. Now, why is that? Some of you ask, okay, why doesn't God give us clear answers to all of our questions? Probably because God knows what we need to know and what we don't need to know. Right? So, so when it's clear, I'm going to be clear. When it's not, I'm not going to pretend it is. Another way to say this is, is don't major on the minors. Don't make a major issue out of minor issues. And you see people who do what I do do this. Some of you have grown up in, in, in cultures like that, right? They take this obscure verse from Daniel, tie it with this verse in Revelation, and then tie it into 1 Thessalonians 5 somewhere, and I know when Jesus is coming back. I got a date for you, right? When Jesus is coming back is a minor. That he's coming back is a major. Don't get the two mixed up. Because when you get the two mixed up... <laughs> you get off track. You get into all kinds of weird things. You can talk about the minors, study the minors. We can even debate the minors. But when it comes to the major things, don't make them, don't get those mixed up. Does that make sense? Okay? So, where Scripture's clear, I speak clearly. Where it's not, I won't pretend it is. Here's the next set of questions. This was asked um, a couple different ways, but the gist of the question is, Will there be people in heaven who never had the chance to hear the gospel? Um, some of you have asked this question before. Um, another way to ask the question is, what about people who live before Jesus? Right? Or what about the people who are born and raised? Like they're born, they live, and they die, and they never hear the name of Jesus. What about, what about that? Great question. And there's actually multiple views on this just like there's multiple views on pretty much every question we're going to deal with today. But here's, here's kind of the foundation that I want to lay for this question. 
And, and again, it, it suits, it, it, it really fits well. I think God holds us responsible for what we know, not what we don't know. Okay? God holds us responsible for what we know, not what we don't know. Some hints of this in Jesus' ministry are from John chapter 9 and Luke chapter 12. You can turn there if you want, but we're going to kind of hit these real quick. Don't have time to look at the entire passage. Um, in John chapter 9, <clears throat> Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath. Religious leaders don't like that, and so they start to do a little bit of an investigation. And during their investigation, um, Jesus throws some shade at the Pharisees. Okay, here's, here's what we're going to pick it up in verse 40. It says, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and ask, what, are we blind too? They're going, Jesus, are you saying we're blind? To which Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So if you can't see or don't understand, you're not held responsible. You're not guilty. But if you can see, if you do understand, you're going to be held responsible for that. Luke, same idea in Luke chapter 12. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. In other words, you knew, so you're responsible. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. You're not going to be held to the same level of accountability because you didn't know. And then pay attention to the next verse, or the next sentence. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So we're going to spend the, the, the last portion of the message talking about and dealing with how our works factor into heaven. Hopefully that will be clear by the time we're done. But when it comes to, to people who've never heard of Jesus, never had a chance to be exposed to the gospel, God holds us responsible for what we know, not what we don't know. And I know that raises some more questions for some of you. Some of you want to, well, what about Romans 2? That's all a part of this. That's all a part of this. But I think here's the most important part when it comes to this question. If we're held responsible for what we know, not what we don't know, what do you know? We can talk about what, what about people in, in remote tribes in the Amazon. We can talk about people who live before Jesus, but come on, what about you? What do you know? Because you're going to be held responsible for that. So what do you know? Next question. Is there such a thing as Purgatory. Um, purgatory is a uh, Roman Catholic doctrine that says there's this intermediate state between earth and heaven, maybe where you get um, a second chance. My answer is I can't find any biblical evidence for it. Um, there, there are people who would disagree with me on that. There are people who would take certain scriptures and try to kind of twist them and make them into, well, this kind of shows that it's purgatory, but I don't see the evidence for that. And again, there are people who would disagree with me, maybe some of you would disagree with me, but I don't find any biblical evidence for it, and I don't have a verse to show you because there isn't one, <laughs> right? But I don't, I, don't, I don't think we want to put our, our eggs in that basket. Another set of questions kind of related to that went like this. Is heaven immediate, or do those who die have to wait for the second coming of Christ? So do you immediately go to heaven after you die? Um, do, do you have to wait like, is there just this waiting period? There's, there, again, there's a couple theories on this. There's always a couple theories. But one 
is called soul sleep. And this is kind of like when you go to bed at night, say you go to bed at 10.30 and you wake up at 6 and it's like it was a millisecond. It's like, where did all that time go? You didn't really know it was there, but you, you were there. That's the idea. Some people believe when, when you die, your soul goes to sleep until Jesus returns. And others would say, no, that's heresy. And again, multiple theories on this. What does the Bible say? It's not clear. It's, it's, it's not clear. But the majority view, particularly in the Protestant church of which we are a part, Protestants believe, uh, the majority of Protestants believe that when you die, your soul goes immediately to be with Jesus. Jesus said to the, to the, to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So your soul goes to be with Jesus immediately after you die. And then at the second coming, when, when Jesus will resurrect your body and it will be reunited with your soul. And, and some people would say that's, that's platonic. That's a, that's a Greek idea of soul versus body, and Jews didn't think that way. And that's fair. All I'm saying is there's multiple views on what happens here. But I want to I spend a little bit of time specifically on something that Paul says about this, kind of an interesting general principle um, that speaks to some of our questions on this. This is 1 Corinthians 15, where he answers some questions the church in Corinth had about death and about resurrection. So I'm kind of following in the footsteps of Paul here today, where this church had questions about some of this stuff. And Paul basically says, all of your questions are great, but at the end of the day, the major thing is the resurrection of Jesus. That's the major thing. We talked about this a little bit last week. Like the heart of the Christian faith is not coming to church on Sunday, being a good person, you know, reading your Bible every day. Like, like it, it sounds a little weird to our ears, especially if you grew up in church, but the heart of Christianity isn't even the Bible. The heart of Christianity is the resurrection. It's the event that happened in history. What do you believe about that? Everything else points to the resurrection of Jesus. And they had some questions about that. So Paul answers them. Verse 35, um, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Because they'd never seen a resurrection before. Just like we've never seen a resurrection before. So how does that work, Paul? What kind of body are we going to have? Here's Paul's answer. How foolish. I roll emoji. Right? Now, that's not in the original Greek. We added that. But, but here's the point. Here's the point. Guys, you are thinking about what you can see and touch and feel. But what we're talking about is so far beyond all of that. Right? We talked about this a little bit last week. Theologians have been ahead of the scientists on this because theologians have always believed there was a time when there was no time. And if there was a time where there was no time, that means that there is something outside of time. There's something outside of what we know to be true and what we can feel and touch. There's something outside of the space-time continuum. And all of us confined to that ask questions based on what we know. But some of this stuff is beyond what we know. Is that clear to everybody? You're like, going, what? That's even more confusing. I'm confused too. But Paul's like, okay, foolish question. Let me show you why. And he says, think about it like gardening. 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So he says, okay, we, we plant bodies like we bury seeds, right? Put them in the ground, and, and, and over time, that seed sprouts into something else. But it comes out that doesn't, there's no resemblance to the seed. It's a completely different thing. So let's just assume you had no knowledge of agriculture, okay? And somebody showed you a tomato seed. Maybe you had a salad with a tomato seed in it before, so you know what a tomato seed looks like. You have no, you no idea how agriculture works. And they said, this seed is eventually going to grow into a four-foot-tall plant. And it's going to be green, and it's going to have these red things that grow out of it. And you can actually take those red things and you can eat it. If you had no knowledge of it, you'd be like, what? That doesn't make any sense at all. You'd never think that's possible. There's no way that tiny little seed can turn into a four-foot-tall plant. But isn't that exactly what happens? That's exactly what happens. All the ingredients for that plant is in that tiny little seed. Put it into the ground, water it, fertilize it a little bit, and it grows. And Paul says that, that's kind of like, ha- like what will happen in the resurrection. Right now, you're going, okay, like what, am I going to look like this? Like how do I get this there? And Paul says, God created the universe out of nothing. He can create you out of dust. He can resurrect your body, okay? Like some of you had a question about um, cremation, right? Um, Cremation is just speeding up the process of natural decay. It's the same thing. God is going to take whatever form you are in as a follower of Jesus, and he's going to resurrect your body. So again, we're asking questions as seeds, not as the final version of what we are. So there's going to be some disconnect there. I'm not going to understand it all, but that's what Paul says. So will it be just like the seeds. So will it be at the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown or buried is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It's sown or buried in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown or buried in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown or buried in natural body. It's raised a super or a spiritual body. So it's, it's like the acorn and the oak tree, right? Acorn doesn't look anything like the oak tree, but that's what the oak tree comes from. It's the same essence, but they're completely different. And it's not precise, but we are seeds talking about plants. And that's a foreshadowing. It's a hint of things to come, right? More questions. Do you age in heaven or are you forever the age you are at death? Great question. And I think that the, the thought behind this question, and maybe I'm assuming here, but I think the thought behind this question is, I'd kind of like to look and feel better than I do now. <laughs> yes? Yes. Like, can I be 21-year-old Tim? Can I be, you know, 16-year-old Tim in heaven? And again, the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. There's a great book called Imagine Heaven by John Burke, where he talks to, he interviews different people who have near-death experiences, and they, they feel like they've gone to heaven and come back. And um, there's a couple stories in there that talk about people who see people in heaven that they know on earth, but they were younger 
than they knew them on earth. And then there's some people who talk about their near-death experience and they saw people in heaven that they knew on earth, but they were actually older than they knew them on earth. So we don't know. We don't know. And here, it's probably a question, <laughs> I'll just add this in there. It's probably a question we won't be asking when we're there. It's probably a question we won't care, right? Going back to part one, Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. This is the tabernacle stuff. God is tabernacling with us. We're tabernacling with him. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. No more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Here it is. For the old order of things has passed away. Part of the old order of things that he's talking about there is the space-time continuum. Time will no longer be. Can I explain that? No. I just know that's part of the old order that's going to pass away. And I read that and I think, I don't think we'll be worried about how old we are because there's a complete renewal. A complete renewal. Like, do you think... <laughs> Do you think a tomato plant ever wonders if it could go back and be a seed? <laughs> Do you think an oak tree ever wonders, huh, I wonder if I can squeeze myself back into that acorn? <laughs> like, like right now, we are, we're a mixture of, of good and bad, right? Like you're good and you're bad. There's good things in your life. There's bad things in your life. You're strong, but you're weak. You're wise, but you're not wise enough. And in eternity, we're going to talk about this next week, in eternity, that gets separated. And it's all good or all bad. Talk about that next week, okay? Next question. This was asked by multiple people. Will I still be married in heaven? Do you want to be? You know? Okay? That was a joke, okay? Will I still be married in heaven? So we spend all this time, all this energy, all this, you know, serving, becoming one, and like that just all goes away. I have to give that up when I get to heaven? First of all, heaven isn't about what we give up. Heaven is about what we get. So we need to switch that kind of thinking first and foremost, okay? Uh, Jana and I, we celebrated our 21st anniversary this past July. Every year, I love my wife a little bit more. I did not know that I had the capacity to love her the way I do today, 21 years ago, okay? And, and do we have our rough times, our good times, everything in between? Yes, every marriage does. But the, the, the kind of the consistent way that our relationship has worked throughout the 21 years that we've been together is that our love has grown more with each other. So I believe we'll know each other in heaven, but I don't think her primary concern is going to be, hey, where's Tim? I think she'll have bigger and much better things to occupy her time and her emotions as well as mine. So Jesus actually answers this question, okay? Um, two groups of religious leaders in his day, there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. That's why they were sad, you see. Okay? That's how you tell them apart. Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And they threw a question to Jesus. They gave him a scenario. This was actually a gotcha question. Most of their questions were gotcha questions. And the question went like this. Okay, Jesus, there were seven brothers. 
The oldest one got married and he died. And in their culture, the next oldest brother was the one who was going to take her as his wife. So the second brother, and he died. And then the third brother, and then the fourth brother. And this family had terrible genes. Or she was a murderer, one or the other. (laughs) Right? And so eventually all the brothers are dead. And here's the question. At the resurrection, whose husband is going to be? Who's her husband going to be in eternity? All of them? None of them? Again, it was a gotcha question. And here's Jesus' answer, Matthew 22. You are an error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God, which they would have hated him saying this because they're the ones who knew the scriptures and the power of God. They were the one who taught people the scriptures and the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So in other words, our relationships will be different than they are now. Will there be some, some essence of them? I think so. But it's kind of like the acorn and the oak tree. It's kind of like the tomato seed and the tomato plant. It's going to be completely different. And again, some of you like that answer. Some of you don't like that answer. But here's the question underneath the question that I would ask. Who has your greatest affection? Who has your greatest affection? And I'm going to leave it there. Next question. I love the simple honesty of this one. How do I get into heaven? Whoever asked this question, thank you. It's a great question. How do I get into heaven? This is kind of where I want us to land the plane because this gets into some of the most confusing parts of eternity, okay? The dominant belief, I think if you just go out on the streets and you ask questions, you ask people, you know, if you believe in heaven, how do you get there? Most people would say something like, well, I'm a good person. I think God's merciful. I haven't killed anybody. I'm not a drug dealer. You know, I've been a pretty good person. So I think that's what gets me into heaven. And what's underneath that is this idea that good people go to heaven and bad people don't. But the gospel, as I understand it, and as it's been understood for thousands of years, does not teach that. The gospel teaches that Jesus' death and resurrection and our willingness to put our faith in him as as Savior gets you into heaven. It's not a works-based thing. It's a gift that's extended to you by God. You put your faith, you put your trust, you put your confidence in what Jesus did on your behalf, just like I'm putting my confidence in this chair to hold me up right now. All of the weight of my life is on this chair. That's a picture of putting the full weight of your life on what Jesus has done, but it creates the opposite problem. Some of you ask this, okay, why does my behavior on earth matter? If it's just about believing, then why do my deeds make any difference? And here's the idea. While your relationship with Jesus gets you into heaven, your deeds appear to impact your experience of heaven. And some of you are like, I just want to get there right? Just let me in, right? But this is, this is, this is, this is where I want to go. I'm a good person. Does not get you into heaven. I'm a good person. Does not get, that's not what gets you in. It is the sacrificial blood of Jesus and your willingness to place your faith in him that gets you into heaven. Does that mean your deeds don't matter? No. 
It can be a little confusing, okay? But again, there's all kinds of clues that your deeds aren't irrelevant. Look what Paul says about this. He's talking again to the church in Corinth. He says, if anyone builds on this foundation, and again, you can read the preceding verses, and he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. So um, think about your life being built on something. And are you using good material or using bad material? Like build a house out of styrofoam in Kansas. Good luck, right? So what are you building your life out of? Your works, your deeds are the building materials you use to build your life. He goes on, whatever you build your life on will be shown for what it is because the day, and the reason that the word day is, is uppercase D, so he's talking about judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's salvation? No. Work. It will, test the, it will test the of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, talking about the material, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. This isn't about getting into heaven. Will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. And I saw this a little bit in the passages from Jesus a little bit earlier. But as an illustration, let's say you have an eight-year-old. And your eight-year-old comes to you and says, uh, Mom, Dad, I would like a guitar. I want to learn how to play guitar. And so you buy them a guitar. A year later, on their ninth birthday, they come and say, I want a better guitar. And you look at them and you go, you haven't touched that guitar for an entire year. I am not buying you a better, nicer, more expensive guitar until you play the one we got you. Isn't that how you kind of work as parents? right? Those of you who are in leadership positions at work, if someone comes to you and says, I would like a raise and a promotion, and you think about it for a second, you go, okay, you are never on time. You hardly get your work done. You're, I should have fired you a couple months ago. I am not giving you a raise or promotion until you're faithful with, uh, with what's already been given you. I, I it, the metaphor breaks down. I know it does. Every metaphor does. But I think what Paul is saying here, Tim, Jesus gets you into heaven. He is the way, the truth, the life. He's the door. He's the foundation. But he gave you responsibility to lead that church. How'd you do with that? He, he gave you a wife. He gave you kids. Were you a good steward of that? What did you do? with the responsibility I gave you. And if you were faithful with that in heaven, I can entrust you with more. My works don't get me in. It's not about my works. They just seem to have an impact on my experience when I get there. And can I explain all of that? No, I can't. One more question to finish on. Do people on their deathbed who profess Christ as their Savior go to heaven? Jesus teaches about this in multiple places, actually. He, he teaches it with parable, par, parables, this. But, but Paul makes it, I want to I point to what Paul says in Romans, okay? Here it is. All have sinned. Sit with it. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can say you're a good person. That's great. I like to believe that too. Maybe I'm the only one, but I like to compare myself to other people to make myself feel like I'm better. But I know that I know that I know that I know. I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I've fallen short of God's standard. And I think you know that too. Like you don't need a preacher to tell you that. You haven't even lived up to your own standard. But he doesn't stop there. Here's the gift. And all are justified freely by his grace. Whose grace? God's grace. How does that happen? Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That is at one meant. We're at one with God because of what Jesus did through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a major and we need to pay attention. Paul is saying your sin has caused you to fall short of glory of God and it's separated you from God. But Jesus gave his life to give you the opportunity to be justified. That is just as if I'd never sinned. That when God looks at you, if you're in Christ, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. I thought I'd get at least one amen there. Just as if I'd never sinned. It's our trust and confidence, faith in the person and work of Jesus that makes us right with God. And it couldn't be any more clearer than this, Romans 10, 13. Everyone, even people who do it on their deathbed, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I just don't think you should wait till you get there. Again, your relationship with Jesus is what gets you into heaven. Your deeds appear to impact your experience of heaven. To say it maybe even more clearly, your access comes through Jesus. Your responsibilities and your rewards come from how you live your life, which is why, let me tie it all back together, which is why. We are so focused on leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus because he is the way to eternal life, but he's also the way to a better life now. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life to eternal, he's the way to eternal life, but he's the way to a better life now. And so here's my question for you. I answered some of your questions. Here's my question to you. Will you trust Jesus for this life and the next? Have you trusted Jesus for this life and the next? Out of all the questions that we've asked today, that's the most important one. Will you trust him for this life and the next? And in the next two minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that if you haven't ever. But I want you to hear, you can't earn it. You can't work it out. You can't, you know, buy your way in. You can't work your way in. You can only receive it. And then your works, your deeds, after you make that decision, is a response to the grace he's extended to you. It's a response to his love, not something you do to earn his love. 
Live a good life. Be a good person. Love your family well. Let grace flow through you. Let grace grow in you. But you can't earn this one. And that's really hard for us Americans. You cannot earn this. You can only trust in Jesus. And you can let him do his work in you. And that produces an amazing life. It produces the kind of life that right now looks like a seed. But one day, it's going to burst into a beautiful plant. It's going to grow into something that will blow your mind. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. First and foremost, for your grace extended to us through Jesus. Man, so many of us have have heard this so many times. It just kind of sounds like old news. But it's actually good news. It's great news. It's life-giving news. So Father, would you make this new to us? Would you make it fresh for us, maybe even in this moment? Got to pray for um, the teenager, the college student, the 30-something mom, the 40-something-year-old divorced dad, the 60, 70, 80-year-old who looks back on their life and sees nothing but regrets. They feel like they've blown it feel like there's really nothing that they can do to be back in right relationship with you. Thank you, but that's not the gospel. Thank you. We don't have to earn it back. We can't. You made it right for us. God, for anyone who's, who's never trusted Jesus with their life, but they want to do that today, they can do it right now, right here. And they just if that's you, you can tell him something like this. Jesus, today, I come to you, I realize you're the way, you're the truth, you're the life. I believe you're the only way of the Father. And so I ask for your grace, for your forgiveness, because I know I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned. And I believe that you died, that you rose again, I place my trust, my faith, my confidence in you. I'm deciding right here today to follow you, to trust you, and to obey. Father, I know you've, you've forgiven, you've accepted, you've adopted me into your family. Not because of the prayer, but because of what Jesus did on my behalf. And Lord, we want to celebrate with anybody and everybody who, who prayed that, but would you, would you help them, would you help us to live in the power of your resurrection? Would you give us the strength, the faith to live out the rest of our days overflowing with grace because of the love and the grace that you've poured into our lives, that you would, you would produce this fruit in us and that we would be people who just bring bits and pieces of your kingdom into this world until you return to establish it in all its fullness. God, thank you for the hope that we have. Even in the midst of the worst of the worst of the worst suffering, the best is still yet to come.
And we, we can glory in that. We can rest in that. And it can transform us because of your grace, because of what you've promised. We've sung about it. We've read about it. Now would you help us to leave this place and live in it? I ask this. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, one more week of this. Next week is hell. We'll talk about that. Next week is not hell. Next week <laughs> is questions about hell, all right? Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Before you leave, if you prayed that prayer, would you let somebody know, please? Let us know. Fill out the connection card. Find somebody that connects us or find a pastor. We don't want to help people just pray prayers. We want to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. So let somebody know. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed.